Welcome, welcome, women of strength. We are really, really excited. It is Podcast Wednesday, and today we are interviewing somebody that I feel like is a friend. Like, I feel like it's a friend of the VBAC link. We, we've connected on social media a lot. So we've been talking on Messenger, and it's always so much fun to have people on our podcast that we've connected with and talked to and, and feel like we just know. And so Alyssa Fisher is an incredible mom. Uh, she runs the Instagram Dreaming of the Farm. And you definitely need to go get a follow because this is a gorgeous, gorgeous Instagram. Um, she has two kids. She's from New Jersey and she's a full-time teacher currently working from home because everything's a little nuts right now. And she does some vlogging on the side. She also just launched a YouTube channel. I did not know that because you shared your VBAC story with us. So go find her on YouTube and watch her VBAC video. It's inspiring. Um, she's been married for six years and they have had a lot of alone time together with their two girls during the coronavirus pandemic stay at home order. Um, and we're also grateful for our health and we're grateful for Alyssa for sharing her story with us today. You guys, this story has got just, a little bit of everything in it, but we're going to talk a lot about how to avoid inductions and like post-term VBACs. Like what do you do after you get to your due date? Like what happens when your due date passes and you're getting that pressure to have your baby. So we're going to talk about that at the end and Alyssa is going to share her story. But before I keep talking too much longer and before we do any of that, Megan is going to read a review of the week for us. Yay, I have a review on Apple iTunes, and this is from Chickster 74 um, The title is amazing. It says, thank you, thank you, thank you. This podcast was my saving grace. Could not have done my VBAC without these amazing ladies and their stories of encouragement and wisdom. A must listen to anyone wanting to tolak. Keep up the great work. I thoroughly enjoyed listening. Ladies, we can do hard things. And I couldn't agree with the, her more. You can do hard things. Know it, believe it, and do it. Do you know what? I love that review. It reminds me of my family motto. Can I say it? Am I allowed to talk more? Sure. <laughs> I feel like I'm always the one going off on these little tangents. Anyways, my family motto. So my oldest son, my C-section baby, has cerebral palsy. It's just really mild. Most people don't even notice it. It just he has issues with ambidexterity and like on his, on his right side. So like his right hand and foot and leg and arm is a little tight. Like it's hard for him to open it all the way and like rotations and things like that. But um, ever since he was little, you know, we were working with occupational therapy and things like that to really help get him like walking and crawling and tying his shoes and pulling his pants up and down so he could go potty like we were just talking about before we started recording. Um, so we made up a family motto and we say every day before he goes to school too, just to remind him. And so our family motto is, I can do hard things. My mind and body are strong. I will never give up. And we say that every day before school. So, cause it's a little harder than for him to do like things like cutting and like putting like pictures on paper with glue and things like that because the right hand has has some has a harder time working and so we say that every morning so that when he 
realizes that he's not like the other kids being able to do things easier that he has that like in his mind. And I'm hoping that like all my kids know how to save my two year old mumbles along. And I'm hoping that like I can ingrain that in their minds as they grow. And so when they're like adults and they're having a really hard time, they, they remember, Oh yeah, mom said this family motto. That's kind of my hope, my desire for them to, to always know that they can do hard things. And yeah, that's my, that's my tangent story. I love it. <laughs> I love it. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton. VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Do you want a VBAC but don't know where to start? It's easy to feel like we need to figure it all out on our own. That's what we used to do, and it was the loneliest, most ineffective thing we have ever done. That's why Megan and I created our signature course, How to VBAC, the ultimate preparation course for parents that you can find at the VBAClink.com. It is the most comprehensive VBAC preparation course in the world, perfectly packaged in an online self-paced video course. Together, Megan and I have helped over 800 parents get the birth that they wanted, and we are ready to help you too. Head on over to the VBAClink.com to find out more and sign up today. That's the vbacklink.com. See you there. Let's talk about Alyssa. Let's talk about it. Yeah, let, I'm excited to hear the story. Is this when I talk now? She, <laughs> yes, this is yeah, when you talk. Yes, I was going to say, maybe. she, she can do hard things and she's going to talk about it. Yes. All right, cool. So I should just start by saying that I got, um, we started trying for our first baby when I was 30. So I was very career driven at that time. I just got my first full-time job and I was also running a nonprofit organization on arts education. I'm a dance teacher. And when my husband was like, are we going to have a baby soon? I was like, I really don't want a baby right now. I'm feeling like career is where I want to be. And like, I don't really want things to stop, but my mom took many years to get pregnant. So I kind of had that in the back of my head. So long story short, we got pregnant the first try and I was not thinking about babies at all. And Julie, when I listened to your birth story, I believe it was yours that you were kind of similar. And I just thought it was really funny because my first pregnancy, I got pregnant the first try. I really was like, no, nope, that's Megan. Oh, that's Megan. Took Sorry. Me <laughs> oh, took you a one of you worked like worked till you were like really overdue, right? One of you guys? Yeah, oh, I did. Yeah. yeah. So that that was me both pregnancies, but the first time it was like by choice that like I just I look back on that pregnancy and the re why I had my C section, like I take so much responsibility for it because I should have been just like focusing on pregnancy and birth, but I was really focused on teaching. I was really focused on my students. I was really focused on my company. Like when I got pregnant the first try, I was so happy and excited, but I was more nervous that everything I had worked for was going to um, like 
be jeopardized by my pregnancy. So I'm trying to think where I'm going with that is that I wasn't thinking at all about like what kind of birth I wanted. I wasn't thinking about like my priorities weren't in the right place. Like I, I never thought or prepared for it. Like I was preparing a nursery. I was preparing like baby items, but I never really considered birth classes, my provider. I just kind of like asked my mother-in-law like, Hey, like who's a good doctor around here. And like, I, I trusted her recommendation, which, you know, she gave me the best recommendation that she could. But um, I had like a super busy pregnancy, but a super healthy pregnancy. Like I never really stopped to realize I was pregnant until probably the summertime because I had my first baby at the end of August. And I went from having like a super normal pregnancy to all of a sudden like just being swollen. Like I was so hot and so uncomfortable. And that happened. And I remember having pregnant friends who went to like birth classes and had like these whole plans of having like these natural births. And I was kind of like, hey, I'm just gonna let it happen. Like what happens happens. I'm not too worried about it. Women have been giving birth for years. Like it'll happen to me. And like basically my due date came and went and I was like so unprepared. I didn't know, I just had like, I was like, so like, is this going to happen? Like, what happens if you, if you don't go into labor? Like, I, I knew nothing because I hadn't been like really focused on it. So we went to see my doctor and he was like, where's your baby? And like, I just remember him being like, I don't know where the baby is. And he's like, yeah, like you should have had your baby already. Like, I don't know. Like, like my, I'm making my old provider sound really stupid right now, but I, just remember seeing them. He's like, yeah, like, like you, I just don't understand why you're not having your baby. So, you know, I went to my, my due date appointment. My mom came with me cause she was concerned. And my doctor said, well, do you want to do an induction? And I was like, can people be induced? Like, is that, is induction something people do? And he said, yeah, like you can be induced. And my mom was like, let's give it a little bit more time. Like my mom's like, I think you should wait, but I was also showing no signs of labor. So that was really concerning to my mom. And, and the doctor was like, well, let her come back Monday and let's see how that goes. So I went back that Monday. He was like, you know, we're just going to induce you. And he, the way he sounded, he's like, yeah, we'll induce you. You'll be holding your baby no time. My husband and I went home. We packed our bags. We went to the hospital. They checked us in and they started me on Cervidil that night and then mm. they put me on, yeah, so on a completely, oh, that's so rough. Yeah, on a completely closed cervix. I just like feel so stupid looking back on it. Like, I should have asked so many questions. I should have been like, okay, like, and if this induction doesn't work, what happens? Because C section never came up in the conversation. And from my findings now, like, usually people will say to you, it can end in a, in a C section if you're induced. And just that never, ever came up. Like, I just assumed that they would have something they could do to get the baby out through my vagina. I just never expected to have it end in a C-section. So it was a Monday night. They put me on Cervidel. The next morning, I was like 90% effaced. So they said, we're going to slow drip you with some Pitocin. And then eventually, once I had the Pitocin, my water... Uh, did break and I had like a trickle of water and it was two days of Pitocin 
long story short, I never made it past six centimeters. I never, the baby's heart rate was fine, but I started to really swell. And I remember it being like 3.30 in the afternoon. And this was the day of my C-section. And I was hitting that like 48 hour mark of being in the hospital. And I overhear my doctor in the hallway tell my nurse, she's getting really swollen. I think we're going to give her till eight o'clock, but then we're going to call a C-section. Oh man. And that is a lot for your like attitude. (laughs) Especially when like you're exhausted. And I remember when the nurse came in, I said, he just said C-section. I'm like, was he talking about like another patient? Oh, and then, yeah. and then she was like, she was kind of caught off guard that I heard it. And she goes, no, he was talking about you. And I said, well, if he's thinking C-section, like then, like I, like, does he think it's not going to happen anymore? And she was like, well, you know, it could, but they don't have a crystal ball. Like that's like kind of their motif. So it was my decision for the C-section because it was two long days of nothing happening and being on Pitocin, I I got an epidural at some point. I'm just giving you the paraphrased version. But my C-section was my decision because of how swollen I was and how it had just been like two long days and nothing was happening. So, you know, I just never anticipated that happening, but that's where it was. Most really don't. That's the hard thing. Yeah, and I just look back on it now and I just wish that I would have done so many things differently and I just wish that I would have had a provider that, like spent a little bit more time helping me to figure out what I even wanted. You know, they never really, they, they were, um, and I hate to say it, but they were men and they just kind of had different priorities. And, you know, like, it's not like they ever told me what to do, but they, they weren't very intuitive or sensitive to like my ignorance, if that makes any sense. And I just wish that they would have been a little bit more helpful in the, decision-making process because it just was like and again I take responsibility for it but it's a hard decision to make like when you don't you know like it's a hard decision to be like yeah you're making like it'd be nice to like at least get some validation in it too yeah like like you know the the risk that comes with an induction like that was just something I never ever knew and I guess I just trusted these doctors to not head me in that type of direction yeah Um, to like just agree and yeah yeah, and just like constantly be like, "Where's your baby?" Like, no, no, like uh, suggestions of ways to get a baby to come. Like, you know, th- there was just no guidance there. There were no birth classes there. Like, like there were no resources. With my second baby, you know, I changed providers, and you know, it's just I just wish that I would have had them with my first. But if I had that, I would probably not be sharing my VBAC story. So I had my C-section and. You know, like every woman says, it's a very vulnerable experience. I The recovery was very hard because I was in the hospital for two days. I was extremely swollen from the amount of Pitocin I had, from my epidural. I was in so much pain from the epidural. I was extremely terrified because I was cut open and I just didn't like I didn't know where my organs were. I just remember feeling like a fish, like when I would like roll over from one side to the other, like thank God for the nurses that helped me get in and out of the bed. But I didn't, I had like um, skin to skin with my daughter right after. And you know, that was wonderful. But I would say I probably had to like 
be away from her for a little while just to kind of like get my rest and everything. So my husband was amazing and he just like changed every diaper. But I remember not changing any diapers for a long time because it was just so hard for me to stand up and to balance and feel that I could do anything with my hands and not drop a baby. And I know some people have C-sections and they're, they're able to do those things, but that was something that was really challenging for me. And with my C-section came some really crazy postpartum anxiety that is like, I look back now and it's just wild, but I had this constant fear that like I was going to stand up and my scar was just going to open. Like I had anxiety about that. It just, I had really bad postpartum with my C-section and it was probably around six months postpartum that I decided to take care of it. And the way I wanted to take care of it was through fitness and working out. And when I went back to working out, I kind of was like, my body feels so different. So I saw a pelvic therapist and the pelvic therapist was just amazing. It was like the first time I felt like myself again, like after so many months, like just feeling like disconnected, like, you know, like I feel like I'm pitching the whole, my, the first experience with my daughter negatively, but it was, um, it just was hard. I just, I really just felt defeated. I really felt like disconnected from my birth. And I, and I immediately started looking up things about VBAC after that, because I just felt so sick about it. And I felt so sick about something that I didn't even realize I wanted until, until it happened. So I went back to work um, when my baby was around five and a half months, my firstborn. And she was just at such a fun age and I just kind of started thinking like well when are we going to start trying and I, I remember talking with my husband and he was like well why don't we wait until she's like maybe 10 or 11 months and it was right around the time of that conversation that my cycle returned and my babysitter was over and I was like I got home from work and she was babysitting and I said, listen, I got my, my cycle back today. I have to run upstairs and get changed because I like completely didn't expect that. And I got changed. And when I came back downstairs, my babysitter said, Oh my goodness. Like that's, that means you're going to have a baby brother or baby sister soon. And when I heard her say baby brother or baby sister, I got flooded with baby fever. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like I'm ready for another baby. And at the time my, my daughter was, uh, you know, like six, six or seven months old. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> yeah. And, and just the way she worded it just got, got me excited. So it took a little convincing of my husband, but we started trying right around seven months. And as I mentioned with my first, you know, I wasn't really ready for a baby. We just got pregnant, like almost on a whim without even trying. This time I wanted to get pregnant. And the first try, it didn't happen. I had been like monitoring it. I had like gotten those like sticks and everything. I was tracking my cervical mucus, tracking my cycle, and I got my period. And I was like, huh, like maybe I need to calm down a bit. So <laughs> I calmed down and then another cycle happened. And then we were blessed to get pregnant on the second try with our second baby. So it still came pretty fast. I definitely just made sure I stayed very hydrated. I heard that that was really good to have some plump eggs, like, you know, to make sure you're really drinking a lot of water. I always stopped drinking coffee 
and alcohol when I'm trying to get pregnant. And I just mm-hmm. make sure I'm eating as much as possible. So that was something I did. And I did do that with my first two, because even though we weren't really mentally there, even though like, the idea that we could have a baby, I wanted to make sure that we were doing everything to have a healthy pregnancy. <laughs> so we got pregnant the, the second try with the second baby. And the first trimester with her was different. And I think it was different because of only having two cycles and getting pregnant so quick. But I, I had bleeding with um, my second baby, Emmeline, from six weeks to 11 weeks. And just constant spotting, just constant nervousness with that pregnancy that I never had with my first That's pregnancy. Hard. Yeah, it definitely was, it definitely was hard. And, and, uh, you know, I want to be sensitive to everybody that, you know, has had bleeding and had it not end positively, because obviously, I, I had a healthy pregnancy and a healthy baby. But I look back on those weeks as like the longest weeks of my life, because I was working, and I just was terrified, like, is something bad going to happen while I'm at work right now? Um, there are a couple of days I had to leave work early because I didn't have clothes in my car. And we never really found out why I was bleeding. Like where, like I didn't, like I showed like a sack and an ultrasound and you could see some old blood, but you know, it, it kind of was like unresolved and it was just every color under the sun. Like it started out as like, red and it looked like implantation bleeding and then it was pink and then it was dark brown and then it was like black at one point and then it was yellow and then like it was oh my God. all these all these different colors and it was just like unresolved that and is so I, hard to go through that is was, so hard yeah I was on vacation when it happened Aww. and I just like I look back on pictures now and being like oh my gosh like I was so nervous that day I was mm. so worried that day I just literally compared the first 12 weeks of Emmeline's pregnancy because she's 12 weeks now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm like, it's just time is such a warp because those were the longest 12 weeks of my life. And and right now she's 12 weeks old and they were the fastest 12 weeks of my life. So Mm -hmm. um, they did eventually test me for bacterial vaginosis at the end of the bleeding. And they gave, they, it was kind of like a weird test. Like it was, they were like, we think it could be this. They never gave me 100% of an answer, but they gave me an antibiotic for it, which I, of course, was nervous to take, but I took it. And I think that's what eventually stopped it. So I maybe it was bacterial vaginosis, but my doctors were like, no, because you don't have bleeding with bacterial vaginosis. It's just unresolved. We don't know why I had that rough of a first trimester. But um, because of that bleeding, I actually wound up changing providers so I was with my um, old provider still, and the doctors were extremely unempathetic with that bleeding. They were very unable to um, like answer my questions or to answer my phone calls. They just kept saying, "Listen, like, like women have, you know, you're, it's not a, de- a fully developed pregnancy yet. You know, you're not out of your first trimester. You know." They, they were very much like negative about the bleeding and just very, very rude about it. And as I said before, the crystal ball thing, the doctor just kept saying, listen, Melissa, I don't have a crystal ball. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, it's not good. Like, it's not good what you're going through right now. And, and he was very aggressive about it. And he was so rude that I wound up changing providers during that experience. And it was the best decision I ever made because when I went to them, for my first ultrasound, we were already discussing repeat C-section with them. They said, 
you know, you didn't go into labor on your own with your first. I think it's from you being a dance teacher. I think you have very strong toned muscles. I don't think your pelvic floor knows how to relax. So instead of you going through the whole induction rate, you know, we're just going to schedule you for a C-section at 39 weeks. And it, it was um, very positive. I was, I remember being really excited about the repeat C-section at first because that meant I could schedule it on my father-in-law's birthday because it was right around that time. Aww. Yeah. So it was like, I just, the way they pitched it with my second pregnancy was that you're going to have a repeat C-section because you don't go into labor. And it was never really said, but I got the vibe that they just didn't do VBAC. It was never, ever mentioned or brought up. It was just like, yep, we're going to do repeat C-section with you. So when I changed providers, I went to midwifery care. And when I tell you it felt like Christmas, my first appointment with them, because I was um, maybe 11 weeks pregnant, and it was after all that bleeding. And just to have a midwife hug me and to say, your, your pregnancy is healthy, you're fine. You know, this bleeding is scary, but it's nothing to worry about, was like, what I wanted the whole time with the other providers. I love that. Oh my God. Yeah. I was like, just, I I thanked her so much for just like, for just making me feel that way. So she had mentioned to me VBAC. She goes, well, why did you have a C-section? Well, you're going to have a VBAC, right? Like you're going to go for a VBAC. And I remember her telling me, I'm like, I looked up VBAC. I'm scared of uterine rupture. You know, there's so much risk. I'm, I'm not going to, and I was a little defensive when she first brought it up for, One, the reason I didn't know anything about VBAC, and two, my other providers said you can have as many C-sections as you want, so I had that idea in my head, and I was so nervous about the pregnancy at that point, so I couldn't even anticipate myself, like, making it to 20 weeks pregnant at that time, so, like, I definitely wasn't ready to talk VBAC, but she had mentioned it early out, and that was, like, super exciting to me, so I would say once the bleeding stopped and calmed down and... I started to kind of like think about VBAC more and I just started to like slowly dip my toe in the water to figure out like, like how, mm-hmm. how many people, yeah, I stole that from you. <laughs> See how many people like had a VBAC cause my yeah. babies were only, were only 17 months apart. So it was hard to find people who had VBACs with babies that were in this birth interval. So that's why I was so driven to you guys because you guys had that one article that shared about getting pregnant six months after C-section. So when a lot of people don't know about that, so listeners go check it out. It's at the vbacklink.com slash blog. Yeah. And when I tell you that, like I screenshotted that article so that I could read it like over and over and over again, I did because everything you find out there about VBAC says that, you know, you have to have, pregnancies two years apart, 18 months apart. There's really, at least from my experience, it's a little discouraging of VBAC with a birth interval like mine. So seeing that article just made me really excited. So that was like step number one in my VBAC. And then, you know, reaching out to other moms that had VBACs with the same birth interval as mine. That was my next step. So I would say right around 20 weeks pregnant, I was like, okay, you're going to go for VBAC. And that's going to be your mission now is that you are going to not say the word C-section again. And you are just going to have a VBAC. So I started looking up tips for VBAC. I started reaching out on your Facebook page, asking women like how they did it, what they could advise. So, you know, the first thing everyone said was have a doula. I got a doula who is like, 
right now you can't even get her. She's like so popular. Like everyone wants this doula. And I started seeing a chiropractor. I started uh, seeing a chiropractor that was certified in Webster technique. And he was amazing and helpful. And I started to go back with my pelvic therapist. I started always sitting on the yoga ball so that I was never in a reclined position, which I did a lot of reclining in my first pregnancy. So I made sure that I did things differently this time. I ate healthier. I walked more, even though this was a winter pregnancy and my other pregnancy was a summer one. I made sure I was walking in the cold weather. I made sure I avoided negative people in my first pregnancy. I felt like I just wanted all of the advice and mm -hmm. I just wanted to hear everybody's like story and experience. But this time I just really didn't care. I just really wanted like nobody's negative, toxic energy in my focus. Like I just, I actually lied. I like lied about my due date a lot too, because I just didn't want people kind of like knowing too much information. I kept, I just kept definitely more private, but at the same time, for those who I felt were positive influences, I really shared with them because I was also really scared and nervous. So it was like a, a crazy contrast where I was either telling everybody everything or telling everybody nothing. Like I was very selective with who I shared my personal feelings with. I prayed a lot. We went to church a lot. I listened to a lot of your podcast. So that was kind of like, like how I prepared myself for the VBAC. And as many women are, I definitely was afraid of uterine rupture, which I look back now and just really think that's such a silly fear when you look at the evidence and the data, which you guys have on your site, but the evidence and the data that I got from my midwives, it's just, the risk is just so low. And while it's so natural to have that fear, I just feel that there's just so much more fear involved with C-section that unfortunately isn't there. Like, I just kind of feel like women are told you can have as many C-sections as you want. Like, I don't know if that's like, but that's just my experience is that like so many people are like, oh, just have another C-section. Just, you know, like not a big deal. But like, I just now knowing what I know, it's just, you should be more scared of that than uterine rupture. It's just my own personal feeling. Yeah. Yep. Well, and when your doctor said you can have as many C-sections you want, that's really scary. Well, he said, yeah, I just did my sixth C-section on this uh. one. Like that was like the things he was saying to me. So that's, I, I really felt that because I want a big family and I just really felt like, yeah, I can have as many C-sections as I want. Like it's no big deal. And I'm just grateful now that I know what I know because my, my old providers were just very C-section driven. And I just remember them even saying things like, oh, I, I do the best C-sections. No, I do the best C-sections. Like conversations like that. Like it's just so crazy. So I guess I should to get to my like labor and stuff. Um, with this pregnancy, because I'm a teacher and because I had a baby so close before and because I had just started that job, I had like very little sick time with my second baby. So I worked with her, um, my plan was to work with her up until 39 weeks and, and five days. So I really had a long like plan for working pregnant this time. Like I didn't plan to stop until 36 weeks. But when I got to my 39 week appointment, my, my midwife advised me to stop working. And she says, listen, like, I know you only have four more days of work. And it's a little bit silly for me to tell you to stop. But I really think that you need to like relax 
so that you can, you know, find some time to connect with your toddler and to just get your body ready because your body seems very, you know, as we expected, like tight. Like you, you don't seem like your baby's dropped. And my midwife said, I think possibly could be because you're working and you're not relaxing. So I took that advice well and um, I go, okay. Because she said, you know, we don't, they, they, the whole time they expected me to go overdue, my midwives. Like they said, you, like once you, if you're overdue the first time, chances are you're going to be overdue the second time. But they suggested that I stop working. So I stopped working and I was 39 weeks pregnant and I was like, you've got plenty of time, you know, no need to really worry yet because the baby wasn't dropped. And then, you know, I, I made sure every day that I was doing my hip circles on the ball. I started seeing my chiropractor like several times a week. I was like walking. Then my 40 week appointment came and I still had nothing happening. I still was not dilated. The baby was very high and tight. Baby was not engaged in my pelvis. So I kind of started to get like really nervous. Like once I got to 40 weeks pregnant that. That it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. That like maybe, maybe it was silly for me to go for the VBAC and maybe I should have just scheduled a C-section. So my midwives were very encouraging though. They were super positive. They said, we're going to let you go 42 weeks and you know, your due date's on a, on a, on a Sunday. So even if you want to do 42 weeks in one day, we're supportive of that. You know, we're not rushing you at all to have a C-section. So that was at my 40 week appointment. Yeah, it, it was, it was good. And I should, should add that I, this practice was midwives, but there also were doctors. So sometimes mm-hmm. I would, so sometimes I would see a doctor and I would get the occasional like, Oh, are you going to schedule a C-section just in case? And, and I kind of like, just was always really defensive when those things would come up. But even in, in those cases, they, nothing like my first doctor, you know, like they were always VBAC supportive and, and pro VBAC and pro my choice. Um, one doctor was a little like more pushy about it, but I really liked that doctor. So I, I don't think that was anything like, like, a. I still feel like he's supporting my VBAC. So, um, once you're 40 weeks, you know, you, you go at this practice, they see you, I think, like every other day, just to be safe. So they had me come in again at 40 weeks and three days. And at this appointment, they, they monitored my contractions. And when they had the contraction monitor on me, I started actually feeling contractions. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, like, maybe like, I'm gonna go into labor today, like I'm feeling it. And then my midwife came in and she goes, nope, those are just Braxton Hicks contractions. Like you're finally having some of those. I definitely don't think you're going to have this baby anytime soon. So I had a serious conversation with her because I said, well, I know you guys say that you can go until 42 weeks pregnant, but I'm a little bit nervous to go that pregnant. Like I don't want to um, be that overdue. So something that I should add with the pregnancy, backtracking a little bit. So with my pregnancy of my first daughter, a good friend of mine delivered a stillborn at 40 weeks pregnant. So, Oh, that is so sad. Yes. And And that probably hit hit home, you know, like that's hard. It really did hit hard. And I really, I started to have that fear. And for my dear friend, I don't, you know, I, my heart just grieves for her, but you know, she, just has so much like doubt that she just went too long. So that was like, kind of like a fear that I have that like having a baby go past a certain amount, like placenta failure. So that's just like a genuine fear I had with both pregnancies. So that happened with my first and 
while I didn't think about it at all with my second pregnancy, all of a sudden I started thinking about my friend. So I, I addressed that with my midwives and, and my doula, she just goes to show how amazing my doula is because my doula knew that I had a friend that that happened to. And she just kept saying, make sure your midwives know that you experienced that because they need to know that that fear is there and to be supportive. So like I, I communicated that with them and they made me feel, you know, better about it. But they said, I think for you, Alyssa, you should definitely schedule a C-section. So we decided as like a family, my husband, my doula, my, mid my midwife and, and me, that we were going to um, not have me go past 41 and a half weeks just for my own fear. I didn't want to go all the way to 42 weeks. I just was too scared to do that. So we scheduled the C-section for February 12th. And I left that appointment. And I continued to do all the things I was doing. And then I had my... Um, my 40 week and five day appointment. And this is the appointment where I just kind of like accepted the C-section. I was like, okay, like I'm still not dilated. I'm still not dropped. So I'm having a C-section with this baby. And I just remember my, my midwife being like, no, there's definitely still a chance for you. And it was the first time that the C-section word was brought up that I wasn't like emotional about it. I was just kind of like, so it, I'm just not going to go into labor. It's totally fine. And I was very like professional and sophisticated about it in my mind because I just remember sitting down and being like, here, I'm, I'm ready to schedule my C-section because all the other time C-section was brought up before that, I got very emotional or defensive, if that's making any sense. So, so oh, that it was makes a, total sense. Like that's pretty common thing. Yeah. So um, I just was so like overdue and so over being pregnant and so like just ready to be like not afraid anymore because like I was either just like afraid of uterine rupture or afraid of placenta failure I just was like let's just know that this baby is healthy I'm healthy and let's just do this thing so that was a Friday so the next day was a Saturday my husband and I spent the first half of the Saturday trying to induce labor and you know doing the things that people do and <laughs> we you know did a lot of walking and that was like the first half of the day. And I just basically got like so uncomfortable and so upset that I was like, let's just pretend I'm not pregnant. Let's just like go out and have a nice night with Ellery. That's my toddler. So we went out in Princeton. We had an expensive dinner. And then we came home and we watched um, some TV. We were watching a lot of funny TV so that I would stay hormonally balanced. We were watching actually a lot of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And that Saturday night we went to bed. And then around two o'clock in the morning, I woke up and I just kind of started to cry to my husband because I was like, so I'm really not going to have a V-back, huh? And he was like, well, you don't know that. I'm like, I'm Aww, 40. I'm like, so I'm sad. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm 41 weeks pregnant tomorrow. Like, I, I don't think I'm having a V-back. I think I'm having a C-section. And I think we just have to accept it. And I just like cried to him and I cried to him for like a good hour and I remember getting out my phone and like looking up a reclined pillow for C-section recovery. I was like, I was looking up all these things to make my C-section experience better the second time. Cause I was like, I'm not having a V-back. I'm having a C-section. Like I, I just kind of like, like lost hope. And that was what I needed to like, just be prepared for the C-section. So at least my C-section recovery wouldn't be as horrible as it was the first time. And I was like, let's just make sure we're prepared for a C-section. So after we kind of like talked about it and figured out a plan for the C-section, I stood up to go to the bathroom and I felt like a rip in my vagina, like a legit rip and a gush what? of something. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, a, like, like almost like, like, um, somebody had like stuck a butter knife up there. Like, like I, not I, your, like not your skin, but like something inside or your yeah, skin. Like, no, like something up inside my vagina. Oh, okay. I felt oh like, gosh. like a rip, like, like uh, the, um, like a, as if somebody just like pulled like a, an elastic band or something like it was weird. A, weird, a super weird feeling. So I kind of like stood there for a second. I'm like, does that mean my water's breaking? And I was like, what's going on? So, cause I felt a gush, but it wasn't like a humongous gush. It was just like something. So I pulled my pants down right there and I looked and I remembered having like this big pink and red glob of cervical mucus and being so excited. And I was like, this is my bloody show. I'm like, this is my bloody show. And I got so happy that something had happened so I went to the bathroom like cleaned myself up and my husband was like okay like let's go back to bed and literally once I laid back down after having that bloody show I got so uncomfortable and I started having contractions which hadn't happened at all (laughs) and um yeah they were super super painful so I laid down and I was um, not able to sleep through those contractions. So I was up from like 2 a.m. to probably about 6 a.m. And then right right around like 6 a.m. I was able to get like a little bit of sleep. I probably slept like maybe like 45 minutes. Like it was just really hard to sleep because one, I was just so excited. Two, I just wanted to call my doctors and ask them like what's going to happen now. And like three, I, um, I was uncomfortable. So the next day was a Sunday. We were going to go to church, but we decided not to because I had experienced those contractions. Um, so we went for a super long walk around our neighborhood and I was doing the mile circuit. So the whole walk I was walking with like one foot up on a curb and yeah, (laughs) yeah, that was amazing. Um, And I had been doing that like during all this time that I was overdue. Like I was doing things like spinning babies and mile circuit via the recommendation of my doula and my midwives. I still was having contractions, but they were super weird. Like they would come like maybe like one every 20 minutes and they would last like for like a really long time, like, like, like maybe three minutes and, I remember a lot of people on this walk, like asking if we were okay and being like, yeah, we're fine. We're fine. Like, like, oh, well, how pregnant is she? It's like, oh, like she's like 41 weeks in a couple of days, but like, don't worry, we're fine. So we went, got back from the walk and I called up my midwife and like, I finally got her on the phone and I said, Hey, like I had my bloody show last night. I'm having contractions. And she's like, well, what are the timing of your contractions? I go, they're really irrelevant. I mean, I'm irregular. And she said, yeah, I don't think you're, you know, that, that really doesn't mean anything. She goes, you know, bloody show is really sometimes could mean like 24 hours, but sometimes it could mean two weeks. And with you, you definitely don't have two weeks. So I wouldn't get too excited. So my midwife kind of like, 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 talked a, you down a little bit. Yeah. Like <laughs> off I of was, this exciting pe- pedestal. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Cause I definitely felt like it was coming, but once I got off the phone with her, something in my brain just clicked. I was like, I'm like, she's just not, she just doesn't want me to get my hopes up, but I know this baby's coming. Totally. Yeah. So, um, my husband was like doing all these projects, like organization projects. I was like, you guys stop what you're doing right now because we're going to be going to the hospital soon. So we got everything together. We called my dad who was going to stay with Ellery when we went to the hospital and, um, we just like got the house ready. We got the baby ready and we got our bags ready because we hadn't had anything ready up to that point, unfortunately. And um, that Sunday night, I like was feeling fine. But you know, the contractions were still coming, but they were like manageable, totally comfortable until I laid down. And like the night before, like, 
once for some reason, once my body got horizontal, the contractions just picked up and they started like being like super wild, super furious, like super all over the place. And I was like almost wanting to like just get to the hospital because I was in so much pain. So throughout that whole evening, that night, we were in communication with my doula who was just advising us to monitor the the contractions on our contraction app, which I'm just going to add is so much harder to do than you would think it is because when you're having a contraction, you don't always know when the contraction is starting and you don't always know like when the contraction's ending. So we were monitoring these contractions on this app, but they were so not accurate because I, I couldn't really tell my husband like, Oh yeah, like I'm having one. And there were so many times I would hit the app like, Oh, I'm having a contraction. And I'd be like, Oh wait, no, that I, I'm not having one. I'm not sure if like other women have found that, but we, we really had a hard time with the contraction app. So we were screenshotting them to our doula, but they weren't, weren't really making any sense. So she kind of like just stayed on the phone with us for a little while. So she could hear me contracting. And she was like, she definitely sounds like she has a posterior baby is what my doula said. And I think this baby is trying to get into a better smart doula. (laughs) Yeah. She's this doula is like a queen. Like she's amazing. And like, I don't, I'm just like, I want to book her now for my third baby because like she's so booked up, but, um, she gave my husband some suggestions like over the phone and bless his heart. But he really like didn't know what he was doing and he tried and she said, well, maybe take a bath. I, I took a bath and I hated it. I just like was like having painful contractions, but now you're just like cold and wet. I just, I did not like the bath. I did not find it soothing. So she said, I'm going to get a shower. I think you should really try and get some rest. I think you should maybe take some Benadryl. And that was also a suggestion from my midwife. So I did, I took a Benadryl and I tried to get some sleep, but that didn't happen. And she said, I'm going to come over around six and I will uh, work with you and we'll see if we can get these contractions to, you know, get to a better place. And then we'll take the next step. I said, okay. So she got off the phone and I had the Benadryl to try and at least like get a little bit of sleep, but the Benadryl did nothing. Like the contractions were that uncomfortable and so quick, like coming so frequently that I just, I was like, sleep was just not an option. My doula arrived probably like a little bit before six and it was raining. And I just remember she came into my room and she smelled so clean, like smelled so good. And just like her being there with her oils and, and helping me just was like, so relaxing. Like it just was like, just, I just was like getting really nervous and scared and unsure in that moment. And she told my husband to get some sleep because we, we might be going to the hospital. So she started doing some spinning babies with me. So she had me in tabletop. She had me, you know, doing the inversions. And as soon as she started having me doing these positions, these contractions went from being like uncomfortable cramps to being like the most exhausting pains I've ever felt in my life. Like, like the positions and her pushing on me was like, holy moly. Like, like I just was like, I was like, I don't, I just remember kept saying to her, I was like, how many more of these do I have to do? Because I am like, I'm dying here. But she was like, Oh, let's just, you know, like, let's just see if we can get your contractions to balance out. So within like, probably like two hours of that, like, my contractions were at a better place. So she said, I think it's time for you to go to the hospital and at least get checked. So we got everything together. My, my toddler was still asleep. Grandpa was downstairs asleep on the couch. And it was 730 in the morning. 
And we like slowly walked out to the car and it was a rush hour and raining. And that car ride to the hospital was just awful. I remember like sitting in the passenger seat of the car with like my butt, like completely off the seat, holding onto the dashboard, like holding my husband's hand and just like having these contractions. And it just was like such an uncomfortable car ride. Like, you know, you hear women say like, Oh, like onto the, hospital I was like you know in labor and like you just picture them like you know like maybe sitting like and saying ow but like I literally was like it like I felt like I had my head outside the car like I was in all these crazy positions in, in the car so we we got to the hospital like what normally would have been like a 15 minute ride was like a 45 minute ride because it was rush hour so that oh my was, gosh that's the worst <laughs> yeah so that was really like frustrating and when we got there I was like definitely just wanting to be checked and not wanting to be like stuck there. And I kept telling my doula, I was like, they're not going to let us go back home. And she was like, you'll be fine. And they, you know, the nurse comes in and she's like, okay, so take off your clothes, you know, put on the band, you know, we're going to monitor you. And I remember telling her like, no, I'm not getting naked. There's no reason for me to put on a hospital gown right now. We're just going to check my cervix and like see what's happening. And I remember being like really, um, adamant about that and like advocating for myself like Mm -hmm. like all all these emotions from like my first labor and my induction and like just like being like okay like I'm gonna trust everything you say just like I totally like got the other end of that and being like no I don't trust anybody I'm I'm like you know like that it was like this like crazy um aggression came out of me for no real necessary reason honestly because (laughs) I I think they would have let me go home like without that but I didn't want them to like put an IV on me. I saw them like wheel out an IV and I was like, nope, we don't need that. We're not there yet. So my midwife came in and was like, hi, Alyssa, like, how are you doing? She's like, um, she's like, this was right around the time I expected you, you know, she's like, um, so I said, I'm like, so when I called you and told you I had the bloody show, did you expect me? She goes, yes, but I didn't want to tell you that just in case I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought that was funny. So she checked me and she goes, you are three centimeters. And I remember us all having this like amazing, like moment of happiness because, because I, I never, you know, my first labor, I only got to a six and that was after two days of every drug. So there was like so much celebration for my, my three centimeters but she said, but your baby is very posterior and the baby has an asynclitical head. Oh, so I don't know if you guys want to explain what that is, but cause I didn't really understand it. Yeah. When they said it. Asynclitic just means like the head is coming down tilted to like one side or the other. So the presenting part is like an angle of the head instead of like the straight top of the head. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Which also make sure it makes sense why things were like a little like more intense. Mm-hmm. And uh, weird. You know, at, and weird at three centimeters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that like kind of just um, brought some clarity because for me, I was like, why am I having like this? Because, you know, I, I've listened to every podcast and birth story and like my contractions were so strange. I'm like, I never heard of anybody having these like lightning, weird off the chart contractions. So she said, you're going to go back home. And Claudia is, that's my doula. She's going to work with you. And my doula and my midwife like looked at each other they made eye contact and they were talking without me hearing. It was the weirdest thing. Like they were like talking with their eyes. And um, I was like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> and I'm like, tell me what you guys are talking about. And, and they didn't want to like tell me, but like just my midwife eventually said, it's going to be hard, Alyssa. Like you have a lot of work to do. Like, th- like this is going to be a challenge, like to get the baby into a better position, but you're with Claudia. Claudia is amazing. And um, they just were like telepathic there. It was really weird. 
I remember just saying to my midwife, I'm like, okay, so can I have like, like real coffee now? Like, can I have like an espresso? Cause I hadn't, I only been drinking half calf my whole pregnancy. And I was up like for two nights basically at this point. And she said, yes, you can drink all the coffee you want. You can go get breakfast, but you're going to go home. You're going to do positions. You're going to get this baby into a better position. So we, we left the car ride was just as painful as before. We got bagels, we got coffee, we got back home. And, you know, with my first labor, you know, I was not allowed food like at all. So that was really frustrating. But with this labor, they, the whole time they said you can eat during labor. So that was something I was really like looking forward to and something that was really keeping me hopeful. Cause I kept saying with my first labor, I'm like, well, if they maybe would have just let me have like a little bit of peanut butter, maybe I would have had more energy to last a little bit longer. So I was like super excited about having food. Like food was going to be this magical thing to just have me have this easy birth for some reason in my head. But, you know, eating with my contractions was awful. Like I could not swallow because every time I would try to have a bite, I would have this like crazy contraction happening. But that was because my contractions were so random. So I tried my best to eat. And that was just um, something that I was really looking forward to that wound up being something I couldn't do really anyway, just because of my contractions. And um, we kind of got like right to work, my doula, like she did all these moves that were like hip opener moves. We did something where I was like crawling on the floor, like a meerkat, like I, I would do like laps across the floor. We did a lot of side walking up my stairs and down my stairs. We did things on my coffee table where I would put one leg out and, you know, just kind of like breathe into opening up the hip and doing like yoga warrior poses. So I do yoga too. So th this part was actually really fun for me and my doula because I really understand the pelvis. <laughs> and so I was like, we were just almost like having like an intense workout and I was on the ball. I was doing things where I would do it one circle on the ball and bounce in between to try and get the baby to rock into my pelvis more. And they definitely got my contractions to stop happening so often. Like they got my contractions to balance out. And actually they got my contractions to almost stop all these exercises mm -hmm. that we were doing. And I won't get too much into them, but we did like a lot of, a lot of stuff, a lot of different positions that at one point in the day, it was like now pushing maybe three o'clock, four o'clock, I was just like sitting on my ball watching HGTV with my doula and my dad. And it was almost like we weren't even having a baby. Like that's how calm things got in the day. Oh my gosh, I've done that at a birth before. Watch it means that it worked. It yeah. means that the positions that you did and all the uh -huh. hard work that you did worked and got your baby in the better position so then you could have a better normal labor pattern. And so that your body didn't have to work as hard. Overwork hard. Yes. Yeah, overwork. Yeah. <sighs> you guys are like making me tear up because this is why I just love my doula because she just like her intention was just on me and just like keeping me like as healthy and as happy as possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, it was just really wild, but it was like, it was such a nice break though. Cause I was so tired. I, I still couldn't be horizontal. Like anytime I would lay horizontal, like the pain would come back. So I couldn't really rest. But I remember like sitting on my yoga ball and like leaning into my dad and like, like closing my eyes. So I, I got like a little bit of a break during this time, not sleep, but I got like rest and everything. So she, she had been texting another doula during this whole process. And she said, Alyssa, I have some new things that we're going to try, but they are going to um, really be painful. Like, you know, th they're not going to be like the exercises that we've done. These are going to be really the hardest work you've done. 
So she said, you want to like be prepared for it. So she made me eat like a whole avocado. She made me eat some apple, some peanut butter, you know, some healthy things. And she said, we're going to go upstairs so that, you know, you're, you're ready for these. Um, so these positions we, we did on my bed, like she had me uh, like laying flat on the bed with my legs out. And like, as I would have the contraction, she would like lift my pelvis up, if that makes any sense. And then she did some things where I was like laying on the side of the bed. Um, mm-hmm. They were all bed exercises. So we, we did five of each exercise through each contraction. So it was maybe 15 total. And I was up there for about two hours. So that, if that just kind of explains the timing of the contractions. And by the time that we were done with those, I was like jello. Like I was like dead. I was like, I need to get some sleep. So we made a call back to the midwife because my doula and midwife had been texting and like been staying in touch. And they were like, I don't think it's time to go to the hospital yet, but I definitely think she should get some sleep. So um, they made the room like as relaxing as possible. We lit my candles. We, we got out the oils. We got out my affirmation. You know, she, my doula was rubbing my head. And I just remember like, almost falling into sleep but then being like no there's like no way I can sleep right now like I'm in a lot of pain and I I think I need to get to the hospital and you know the contractions were getting more consistent again they were they were kind of like not as bad as they were in the early parts of my labor but they were happening um like so fast that I stopped being able to feel the baby moving in my stomach and that just brought on such a level of fear and anxiety from what happened with my friend, I was like, no, like I, I'm not comfortable being home anymore. I want to go to the hospital. And I remember saying that and my doula respecting it. And she said, okay, I respect that. She goes, I think what you need right now is to get out of this house for a little while. And she said, and maybe have a little privacy with your husband. So she said, I'm going to take care of your toddler with grandpa and you're going to go for a walk and you're just going to like clear your head and figure out what you want to do. So it was February. It was like freezing. It was like super cold, super damp. And my husband and I had like the most sweetest walk ever in our neighborhood. And we didn't walk very far because of my contractions. You know, I was taking like the teeniest, tiniest steps, but he was like, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I really just want to get to the hospital at this point. Now I want an IV because I feel dehydrated and I want to know that the baby is fine because these contractions are stopping me from feeling her. And I'm not okay with that. So we, we actually called my midwife outside because my doula all day was like, don't call your midwife. You know, you don't need to, like, I can talk to her for you. So behind my doula's back, I called my midwife a little embarrassing if she listens to this podcast, but I, I said to my midwife, (laughs) you got to do what you got to do, you know? Well, yeah. Yeah. I just, I kind of just wanted to talk to her directly because they, they kind of had said that they didn't want me talking directly for some reason that, that the doula and my midwife would talk. I don't know if that's like normal, but that was what they said. That's not. Yeah. Because really doulas shouldn't be having that. Like it's you, you know what I mean? Like we don't make decisions and do things like that, but maybe they had a different relationship and different understanding with one another or something. hard to say. Well, yeah. And it was all, it was all like not not anything like sneaky. I don't, I feel like it, I think they just wanted me to focus on my contractions and to not be Mm -hmm. like worried about things. Like, I think they just wanted me to like, just be that connected to my baby. I I trust them completely. And I never felt like it was anything. Right. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. And my my doula and my midwife are very, very close. In fact, that my midwife's daughter had a baby and 
the doula was her doula too. So like they're just that. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's like that friendly thing. But so I finally called her and I was a little annoyed. I was like, I want to come in and you know, I, I think I want an epidural now. So backing up a bit, they were very against me getting an epidural because the policy of this hospital was no induction drugs. So no Pitocin whatsoever, not even a slow drip. And the midwives, I got the vibe that they didn't agree with this policy, but it was the policy of the practice. And the midwives, you know, they're, they're under the doctors, I guess. So they don't really have much say in that, but I got the, they never came out and said it directly, but I definitely got the vibe that they felt like I could have some Pitocin, but, but that it was um, a hospital policy to not allow any VBACs to have Pitocin. So they were very much like, we want to push off this epidural as much as possible because if your contractions completely stop, there's nothing we can do for you to get your contractions going again. Like the only thing that we could possibly give you is a breast pump, but you know, there's nothing we can do to induce you. So when I told her I wanted the epidural, she said, well, we have other things we can try before an epidural. You know, you can come in and you can have narcotics and we can see if that will, you know, progress you along a little bit further. So she had said, and you know what, Alyssa, you, I'm very proud of you. You were so strong. I, I knew that you would um, be coming back tonight at some point. And she goes, you know, you've worked really hard. She goes, you know, the labor that you're in is a really challenging labor. And I'm just really proud of you. So it's like she made me feel, it just felt like, like good. Like, like not like I was like giving up too early kind of a thing. Like it was just really nice to hear that. Yeah. So we got packed to go to the hospital for the second time. And my, my, uh, we did bedtime, you know, with my toddler, but that was like the first time that I got like super emotional to like leave her. Like I was like, ah, you know, like she's going to wake up in the morning and we're not going to be here. Like, you know, I just like, and I'm like, and who knows like how many days it might be. Like if I'm in, if I have a C-section, I could be in the hospital. Like I had all this like fear and emotion come up about leaving my dad with her. But, uh, you know, we got to the hospital. It was late at night. So, you know, we got there like in like 10 minutes. And unfortunately, though, we we showed up to labor and delivery and realized that our hospital um, has a lockdown policy after 9pm. So you you have to go in through the emergency room. So that was just really long because yeah, we got everything out of the car walked up to labor and delivery to see it was locked. So we had to get back in the car. And then navigate around our, our hospital is very large. Like we live in Princeton in New Jersey. So it's like, you know, it's like an airport, our hospital. So it's, it's very um, up, it's, you know, it's, it's just a very big hospital. And it took us a while to even find where the ER was. So we found it. We, and then there was like no parking there. So that just took a super long time. And I actually, if there's any advice I can give pregnant women is to like leave a note in your car about that because when you're having contractions, you know, your brain isn't thinking about that stuff. Like your brain's just like focused on the contractions and, and, you know, you're not remembering simple things like, Oh, duh, you know, obviously you're going to have to go through the ER after a certain time at the hospital. So it took us like two hours to get to the hospital after all that. Oh my goodness. Because as we're doing all this, I'm stopping and having these like monster contractions that we're working through in the rain. So that was just like really crazy. And I recorded a birth story for, for YouTube. And like, I left out all of these like juicy details, but like, that was like, I wish, I wish we could see that on camera because that probably (laughs) was really funny and I'm exhausted. I'm super tired, but we get into the ER 
And the hospital staff is just amazing. And they're like, oh my gosh, she's in labor. Like this woman's in labor. Like, you know, they got a wheelchair out right away. And everybody that's in the emergency room, like was like stood up, like, like people were silenced and like turning off their like TVs to like watch me. And (laughs) it was like the best confidence boost because I felt like I was, I felt like I was in a freaking movie. Like I was like, oh my God, like this is so cool. Like I'm in labor. Like (laughs) I did this. And I actually like took my my phone out and started taking selfies. Like it was like the first time I was like, (laughs) I was like, I wanted to like remember it. And uh, my doula, I remember my doula because she's so not into like technology looking at me like, well, why why is she taking a selfie? (laughs) But, um, but it was, it was like, what I really needed because I, my energy was really low up to that point. But just being around people was like the most positive thing because they all were just so supportive and kind and excited. They were like, you're having a baby. And like, like it just brings you back to like, you know, the end result, which is just worth all this pain and stuff. So we, we took a walk to labor and delivery from the ER with a nurse. And we went, you know, through like the back part of the hospital and I didn't sit in the wheelchair because it was uncomfortable for me sitting. That's why like the car was not fun. And I remember on the walk to the hospital, I said to um, the nurse, I said, so is there coronavirus in this hospital? I I asked her and she goes, she like gave me this like, look, like, what are you talking about? And I go, because like, I just read online that Princeton University has it. And I'm like, that's like not happening. Right. I'm like, that's not real news. I'm like, that's fake news. Right. I'm like, there's no COVID here. Right. And and the nurse was like, nope, there's nothing here. And I just remember her looking at me like, who are you? And why are you asking me this? But um, <laughs> it's just so strange, the timing of my pregnancy. And like, I'm just such a wackadoo. But like, I've had such postpartum. I had postpartum this time too. But like, I just feel my heart just goes out. Like, like I literally had my baby like three weeks before all this happened. And I'm just so grateful. Like, I'm just so thankful. But at the same time, I just feel so guilty that like, not every woman like had the same timing as me. Like I just might, you know, I'm just praying for everybody right now that's going through it because it just, it just must be so scary because, you know, pregnancy is just scary in itself. And then to add the pandemic on it, I just like, I'm just praying like so hard for everybody right now that's like approaching this. And I'm just praying that it stops. I'm just praying that things go back to normal. So, you know, we had like a, a weird coronavirus conversation on this walk from the ER to labor and delivery. But, um, you know, they, they checked me in, they checked me in super quick, they got me hooked up onto the IV really quick. And my midwife is coming in as you know, she's getting ready to check me. And as she's checking me, like I have a fluid drop on the floor. And she looks at it and she goes, Alyssa, when did that fluid start? I go, what are you talking about? I'm like, that's the fluid I had since my bloody show. Like I told you about that. Like, I've been having fluid like for several days. She goes, no she goes that's different fluid than what you like she kind of like like lectured me a little bit she goes no that's different than the way you described so she was like I think your water broke and she got super concerned for a moment because I was GBS positive so she's like I'm gonna check you and and sure enough it was amniotic fluid so throughout the day my water had broken and like we had no idea when that could have happened so that was a little bit of a wild experience there so she goes, we're going to get you on penicillin first before we check you because we need to make sure that you are on penicillin since you're GBS positive. Is that accurate with what you guys? Yeah, most most providers want to start penicillin once the water has been broken if there's GBS positive. Yeah, and they do it every four hours up until birth. Yeah. Yes, and it's it's very uncomfortable. But so they they uh, 
you know, she was a little bit scared there and like, it was just weird, the fluid, because it, it didn't look like water. And I, I remember asking my doula, and my doula goes, no, I, I don't think it's water either. I think that's just a, like, discharge and just your bloody shows still. So it was um, just very surprising to us, because we just didn't expect that to be my waters. But once that kind of calmed down and they checked me, I was thankfully at a full six, almost a seven. So that was another amazing moment for me. That's to, exciting. Yeah, to like have that happen. And I asked in that moment if, if I could get an epidural. And they still were like, I think you should hold off on the epidural. Even though you are at a six. And we said we didn't want you to have one until you were at a six. We feel more confident waiting longer. Just, just in case. Because again, we can't do anything for you. So they gave me the narcotics. And that happened um, within like seconds of having that I was like completely knocked out I remember wanting to like ask one more question but the drugs were like coming into my head and I just like I couldn't even compose words I just like completely fell asleep so the narcotics worked for two hours where I was able to sleep and then I came off the narcotics after two hours but I still they couldn't give me an epidural till after four hours of um it are you guys like familiar with this with the narcotics or was it fentanyl I believe fentanyl it, usually only lasts about 30 minutes to 45 minutes, but two hours is pretty good if you, you might have just been like really well. Morphine maybe, yeah. Maybe it was, I honestly don't know. I should, my, it's so funny. My nurse friend was here and I was talking to her and she's like, you should really know what narcotic you were on. I'm like, nope, I don't know, but I don't remember. But uh, I should find that out because I'm getting a lot of questions about that stuff. But basically, the drugs lasted four hours, and they told me that the first two hours of the drugs would be really good, and the second two hours of the drug would be not so good because you would be coming off of it, and you would be wanting more, but we wouldn't be able to give it to you. So I knew that. So when the second two hours came, they offered me laughing gas, and I completely hated it. It was awful, and I just hated having something in my face. So I just remember everyone telling me like, Oh, like give it another try. Like women love the laughing gas. Like, you know, it works. And my experience with it was I am having a hard enough breathing as it is with these contractions. I don't want to be breathing into this mask over my face. That's like plasticky and cold. So the laughing gas was no good. So once I got done with the narcotics and the laughing gas was when I had my transition and as you guys always say, you know, transition is when women like really want to give up. Yeah. So when they're like, we're done. <laughs> yeah. So in this moment, I started saying, I just want a C-section. I cannot do this anymore. I am exhausted. My body is, has been through it. And there's just no way I can last any longer doing this. And I just remember everybody saying, yes, you can. Like, just keep going. And, you know, I, I talk about this part of you know, I, I'm uh, paraphrasing now, but if you if people can watch my birth story on YouTube, it's it's a I share it there. I think um, really accurately, but you know, without getting like too emotional. But I definitely had a moment with God in this in this section of my birth story because I was so tired and so lethargic that. There, I was being held up by somebody and I a hundred percent, somebody was like holding me. And I know that I was not held by anybody that was a human because where I was being held was on the right side of my body. And that's where 
all of the machines were. So, so I just, um, I was leading into somebody and, and it just was like the most wild thing because on the left side of my bed, my doula, my midwife and my husband, they all came over to me to like rub my back and talk to me and pray with me and like have these moments. But it just, uh, it was like a very beautiful out of body experience. And I'm just really thankful for it. Like it just was a, you know, I definitely have felt guardian angels in my life before, but nothing like this. It was just really magical. That's amazing. Yeah. So after that happened, I said, okay, I think it's time for this epidural. So they checked me again and I was at an eight. And even though my water had broken, I still had some of my bag intact. I hope I'm saying that correctly. So my midwife said, and I forgot to include this part in my YouTube video, but she said, I'm going to um, finish breaking your waters. Am I explaining that correctly, ladies? When they break yep. the waters? Yeah, so- I'm going to finish. Yeah, sometimes like water will break and then there's like a little bulge like because it's a small hole and things like that. So yep, breaking your bag of waters. So yeah, so she she did that. And within doing that, I had an epidural, which was amazing. And I had a bad experience with my epidural the first time it only took to one side of my body. They knew that. So they really made sure that that didn't happen again. And I was, you know, really having contractions. So it's just funny having an epidural when you're not in labor, like when you're like, you know, you're not when you really don't need one versus when it's like time for one. Like I see why sometimes they say it's better to get it earlier because it was very hard for the anesthesiologist to do the epidural on me because of my contractions and me being unable to like keep my body still. But um, he did it around 6.30 in the morning and I fell asleep and I slept for like 90 minutes peacefully. It was the best sleep ever. And I remember I woke up first and the room was just so peaceful and calm. And I just knew I was 10 centimeters. Like I just knew I was complete in my head, even though I wasn't checked. But I was like, wow, I'm going to have this baby very soon. And they had a new nurse come in. And this nurse was just everything I wanted and more that without going into detail, I did not like the nurse that was overnight because she just was, she wasn't thorough enough for me. Um, And this nurse came in and she said, I'm going to check you. And I remember being surprised that the nurse was checking me and not my midwife, but she was so like confident and professional in her delivery. That was like, I trust this nurse. So she checked me and she said, you are complete. And she said, you have an interior lip though. And I remember asking my doula and my nurse like, Oh, like, well, what is that? Is that something to be concerned about? And they were like, no, you know, not nothing. And that's not going to really stop anything, you know, but you are complete and that's positive and that's great. So after that, the midwives came in. So they were at a transition in midwives and they came in and they were just adorable. They were so happy for me. And they were like, Alyssa, we just knew you were going to have a VBAC. They're like, there's a lot of women that want to VBAC and change their mind, but you were just really determined. We never saw anybody as determined as you. And they were just like, they were just so happy for me. They're like, you are going to have this baby vaginally soon. And um, we're just really proud of you because we know how hard this was and how long this was and we're just like thrilled for you. So I remember saying to them like, okay, so like, do I start pushing now? Like I'm complete. Like, like, do I start pushing? And they were like, no, we're not going to have you push yet. So this was another thing I learned along the way. I was like, in my mind, I was like, well, once you're 10 centimeters, obviously you're going to start pushing. But they said, no, we're going to wait till you like really have an urge to push. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I have an urge to push now. And they were like, no, like, like, you're gonna like, like, you're not gonna be able to like, not 
push. Like that's like when you're going to feel the urge. And the best way that they described it was that like when I wasn't having contractions is when I would want to push. Like if that's making sense. So that was around like nine o'clock in the morning and, and they suggested I have like a liquid plate and they said, suggest that you just get a little nutrition into your body, but you know, maybe we'll check on you in like an hour and like see what's happening. But you know, we, we want you to wait to push so that you save your energy. So when you are pushing, you know, you're, you're not pushing unnecessarily. And I, I'm like really grateful for that because I hear of women that push for like five hours and I think that maybe they push too soon. So I was glad that my midwives had me wait as long as possible to push. So I had the liquid plate and while I am, you know, waiting, my, my doula has a peanut ball and she's having me like lay on my sides. And that definitely got my my push urge up, you know, cause I was on, I did have an epidural. So the bottom half of my body was like, you know, numb and everything, but like I was starting to like, just feel things more with this peanut ball. And I was like, Ooh, the baby's definitely coming. And, and I, I kept saying like, I feel like I have to take a poop and like that was happening after maybe like 45 minutes of doing that. I remember saying, okay, we need to get the midwife in here now. I'm not able to like hold this anymore. So she came in, they got out the table, you know, all the stuff to prep the baby and she gets ready to push. So something I, um, she goes, okay, we're going to, you know, get you ready to push. So something that I thought was really surprising with my midwives is she was not in hospital clothes. She was just like in normal people clothes at first. And I remember being like, don't you want like to wear like a gown and stuff? She goes, nah, I'm not going to get that just yet. We're going to start practicing the pushes and just like get you ready. So they had me practice pushing. I did one practice push and I felt like I was really clearly directed. I felt like, you know, having like a really good teacher with the pushing because as a first time pusher, I never got to that state. I couldn't imagine what pushing was like and just they were so clear in their description of how to do it. And I just felt so like well guided and just so confident in my decisions with my provider in that moment. I just was so happy because of the way they were directing me at pushing. So we did one practice push and then we did, you know, we got going and it was at like right at 11 o'clock and within like the second push, my husband could see the head and that was like really exciting for him. And he said she had brown hair and I just remember feeling like so happy in that moment that Aww. he he was the one to see the brown hair first, that yeah. it wasn't like a surgeon seeing it, that it was him. And he just had the cutest expression on his face. And that just made me feel that I made the right decision because you just have so much doubt when you're, you know, waiting to have your V-back or, you know, deciding if you need to schedule a C-section. And I just remember being like, just so happy that he's getting to experience this too, because he was just so happy to see the head first and to like, you know, see the hair. So long story short, you know, I, I pushed her out in 38 minutes. They put her right up on my chest and it just was amazing. She was eight pounds, eight ounces. She was a full pound heavier than my C-section baby, which in many failed induction stories and successful VBACs, I find that common that the VBAC baby is bigger than the C-section baby. Yep. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, everything they say about pushing on a big baby I, um, is true. But, um, you know, it was just a, uh, it was just amazing. And it was the pushing part was the easiest part, which I just never anticipated that. I love it. it. I always, love that. Yeah. And because um, like, you know, you have the fear of the baby getting stuck, but the 
the pushing was easy. And I, and I think the pushing was easy because of my providers, because they didn't have me push too soon. And because they just, you know, they just, I just felt like I was in great hands the whole time. And that I can't really, I definitely couldn't picture my previous provider being patient with my frustrating labor. Cause I had such a, such a go with the position of my baby. And the, I just, I'm just so grateful that these women were just able to be there for me because I probably was like the, one of their longest labors. And like, I just feel like I probably was like their most uh, stressful patient, honestly, although everything was fine and healthy, you know, we never had any like real scare or risk or anything like that, but it was just very tedious. Like the whole thing was just very long and exhausting, but yeah. So, you know, she, I, I just was, um, the most like amazing experience, like, you know, and, uh, sometimes I feel guilty saying that because obviously, you know, my, I love my babies equally and, and, you know, it's like, you don't want to like love one birth experience more than another, but, um, I'm just so grateful for it. And like, I immediately felt like myself again. I felt so cleansed after I, it was like just the most euphoric moment ever. Just having her on my chest, just, you know, everything you feel and think it's going to be, is, it just was amazing. And they didn't clean her right away. They, they delayed the cord clamping. Um, my husband got to cut the cord and this is just something really cute, but, um, and maybe just like my husband this whole time preparing for a VBAC, he just always said, I don't, I don't care if I cut a cord, like, you know, babe, it's not a big deal. But once he cut the cord, I could just see he was protecting me from like, whatever, you know, he, he wanted to cut a cord, but he never showed me. And it just, just made me fall in love with him so much more because he just like, he never wanted me to know how much he wanted to cut a cord, you know, but yeah. So that was just, that's the story of my VBAC. That's my little Emmeline Anita. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I, and every time um, someone has kind of a longer labor or, you know, especially like a harder start and things like that, and then they have easy pushing, I'm like, you deserve that. You totally deserve that. <laughs> and right? Fast, easy pushing. Yes. Yeah, I'm so, great. I'm so grateful I had, um, even though like I, I've heard of people pushing faster because I still push for 38 minutes. I, you know, that's not like the most record, but it, it's pretty it, fast. Yeah, it was, it was really, um, it just was like the easiest part. Like, I, I just can't wait to get to the pushing part again. I'm, I'm hoping that when I have my next baby, my, my labor won't be the same. Hopefully. It will probably be faster. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, we really appreciate you sharing your story with us. Um, before we let you go, though, we have a couple questions for you. Um, so these are some questions that we're asking every guest from now on. And um, just nice and short and sweet. I see you filled out your form. So that's awesome. So the first question is, what is a secret lesson or something no one really talks about that you wish you would have known ahead of time when preparing for birth? Um, I, I believe I answered um, lonely, right? That it's like kind Yeah, of it can be lonely. Um, yeah, that's this kind of what I would say is that while like you, you talk about it with like everybody and you know, you, you share and you read, I just found it to be lonely sometimes, especially um, with a VBAC, because I couldn't talk to certain people about it because I didn't mm -hmm. want their opinions. I had a lot of friends that were like, you know, like, well, why do you want to be back so bad? Like, that's ridiculous. I just have a C-section. Um, I remember my mom just trusting me with my decision for it, but she didn't really understand why I wanted a VBAC either. And um, my mother-in-law 
towards the end was really frustrating. And I hate to say that, but she, she just kept saying that I'm doing the wrong thing. She just kept saying, you are, you know, you need to be in hospital. You need to have had this baby already. You are way overdue. You're, you know, you're risking you're you know, you're going to have placenta failure. And like, and people just kept saying that. And the fact that I just didn't want to really talk to people about these things, it just, it became lonely for me because I had to like kind of just trust my gut and my instinct. And um, yeah, that's just what I would say. Awesome. Good, good advice. I agree with that. Um, All right. So what uh, next is, what is your best tip for someone preparing for VBAC? Just piggybacking off of that is to just, you know, be private, be selective with who you share your personal information with because you know you need to protect yourself and and just you know trust your gut just like you know for me that's prayer you know when I pray I really find it's meditating for me and that's when I can really connect to my gut so that would just kind of be my my best advice is to just like protect what you want like just don't let other don't let people get into your head and trust your providers know your providers too Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story with us. We loved it. There's so much good information in there that people will be able to use on their own journey. So thank you for that. And we want everybody who's listening right now to go over to our social media accounts and find the image for our podcast today and comment. Let's talk about how long your VBAC labors were, how long your labors were, um, even if they weren't VBACs. And let's let's see. Let's talk about some ranges of normal here because I think it's always fun to see everybody else's different experiences. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. We really enjoyed it. And it was so fun to talk to you in person. Yes, thank you guys so much for having me. And I'm sorry it was so long. And I hope I didn't talk too much. And I no, hope I didn't. No, fine. you did. I love the details. <laughs> and the details help people. Like, really, yeah. though. They really yeah, do like the things like, do. Oh, I could have done this or, Oh, this position. Maybe I should try that next time. You know, mm-hmm. hopefully cool. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. We'll catch up later. Bye. Bye. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.